0: Welcome to The Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to The Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy.
1: This meeting is being recorded.
0: All right, welcome back, everyone. This is episode 57 for the Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast. We're going to begin on page 201, all the way at the bottom with money. But first, we're going to go ahead and give our introductions. Eva, you can jump in introduce yourself, please.
1: Hi everybody, Eva P. here. My clean date is June 10th, 2000. I do meetings in the Salem, Oregon area, mid Willamette Valley. And my home group is the Do It Hard meeting.
0: Right, thanks Eva, what's up Barb?
2: Hey Douglas, I'm Barb R. i am barb I live in the panhandle of Florida. My clean date is October 4th, 1995. And my home group is the hybrid open mind meeting on Monday nights at
3: 7.30. All right, thanks Barb. What's up Paul? Hi Douglas. I'm Paul M. I'm an addict. Uh, I, my clean date is January 6, 1995. I attend meetings in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I, like Barb, am a, are, am a member of the Open Mind Home Group. Thanks, Paul. What's up, Lisa?
4: Hey, I'm Lisa H. I'm an addict. My clean date is February 25th,
0: 2012.
4: My home group is Monday Night Miracles in Meadville, Pennsylvania. I attend meetings in Central Western PA.
0: Thanks, Lisa. What's up, Jennifer?
5: Hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer, and I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27th, 1992, and I attend meetings in
0: Sacramento, California. Thanks, Jennifer. What's up, Jane?
5: I'm
6: Jane A. here from Salem, Oregon. Clean date is 12 and my home group is the Thursday Noon Basic Tech Study.
0: All right. Thanks, Jane. What's happening, Casey?
7: Hey everybody,
8: my name is Casey. My clean date is 9 30 of 2013. I attend meetings in Salem, Oregon and my home group is the Wednesday night basic text study. Thanks Casey. What's up Lee? Hey Doug, Lee P. uh, Addict. Clean date, August 27, 1987. And like a couple other people said, my home group is the hybrid meeting of the open mind, New Orleans, Louisiana.
0: Thanks Lee. And our guest this evening, What's happening, Tara H?
9: Hey, my name's Tara. I'm an addict. I'm from Ellensburg, Washington. I attend meetings in uh, the central Washington area, and I want to give a shout-out to Face the World out of Edmonton, Alberta.
0: Ooh, a little shout-out. Thanks, Tara. All right, folks, I'm an addict. Name's Douglas. I got clean March 12, 2000, Southwestern, PA, and I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, here we go. We're going to get started. Episode 57. Uh, Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast, page 201, all the way at the bottom with money. And Paul, would you be willing to start us off the first two paragraphs, please?
3: Sure, Douglas. Thank you. Money. Oh, God. I should have said no. Uh, Money, whether we have a lot of it or very little, most of us have a challenging relationship to money. There is no right set of values, but we do have principles that we practice. Our seventh tradition talks about being self-supporting through our own contributions. And while the tradition makes direct reference to the groups, many of us find that practicing the principle in our own lives is essential to experiencing freedom. We learn to support ourselves financially, and we find that there are other ways in which we can practice self-support. We learn learn to carry our own weight, clean up our own mess, and contribute to the places that are important to us. It can be very hard for us to share about our relationship to money. Sharing honestly about this with our sponsor can open the door to healing in all areas of our lives. Having money and working may be totally unrelated when we get here. We found the financial resources we needed in our active addiction in all sorts of other ways. We stole, we manipulated, we took advantage, we persuaded others of our entitlement, We were takers and we squandered the resources that were made available to us. In our self-centeredness, we were oblivious to the toll we took on the people around us. The awareness that we might never be able to repay what we owe can be part of the force that drives us to a new way of life. We owe a debt, and every time we act in the service of a greater good, we can feel something shifting inside of us. We have a contribution to make, and making it is not a sacrifice. It serves us at least as much as those we serve. Yeah, I I, I don't know an addict who doesn't have a complicated relationship with money. I certainly do. What I know about money is it's how my father said I love you. Um, he wasn't, he didn't come from a house where, uh, where that was kind of said a lot, I think, or at least by his father. So when I, when I, you know, I think my father handing me a $20 bill when I was five or six was, I love you son. And so therefore I equate, I, I remember physically feeling better when I had money in my wallet, like taller ah, <sighs> everything's gonna be okay as long as I have this. And, um, and so that's kind of where I come from. Um, I certainly have been around long enough that I have equated self-support in my own through my own contributions. I pay my bills regularly. I'm not late on anything. I make more money today than I ever had. And that wasn't always the case. Um, When you get to be my age, they send you social security, uh, send you a a form. And um, if you're having trouble with your four-step, just look at that social security form because it shows exactly the years that I used because I was unemployable when when I was using. And you could see I got clean in 88. I stayed clean for three and a half years. And I st- you started to see an increase and I relapsed in 91. And you can see it go back to zero for four years. And then I got clean in 95 and it starts building again. And so the, the short answer on that is I am, I am fully self-supporting through my own contributions as long as I don't pick up, amazingly enough. So I do kind of have put that all together. Um, but this is a, this is going to be a good, uh, topic for me. I, I, um, I, the joke is that I spent my retirement in my twenties shooting dope. So now I have to work till I'm, uh, 67 and three months or whatever it is for people born in 1960. So I'm just going to keep working and, uh, and we'll see how it goes. The good news is I had lunch with my, f- uh, fourth grade friend today. He is not an addict and he is already retired fucker. Thanks.
0: All right. Thanks for those comments. Anybody else want to jump in on these on these two? Paul, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking like how to how it's kind of funny how some of our parenting just kind of gets wired into us. And you demonstrate that with my sons a a lot, too. And I'll be dropping them off at the gym and we'll be on the phone. And, you know, you say, I love you, boys. And they'll say, I love you, Paul, you know, jumping out. And so that that love's there. But when we were down in, in Florida, kicking it. You slid Alex a hundred bucks so he can go get some. I think he wanted to go get some. He wanted. He wanted. He wanted, some, he
3: wanted some clothes. That's my yeah, baby. I yeah. I love him. I give him a hundred dollars. That's what. <laughs> that's that's love right there. Indeed, that's my that, dad. That <laughs> kind
0: of cool. All right, cool. Lisa, can you read the next two paragraphs and comment, please?
4: Absolutely. Um, I think we left off with the sense of entitlement. Um, The sense of entitlement that enabled us to live as we did in our addiction can follow us into recovery. Often it shows up in more subtle forms. We don't steal people's purses anymore, but it may seem perfectly reasonable to take supplies from work, to shoplift a little, to continue taking advantage of people. We may know that this kind of dishonesty is wrong, but harbor the sense that we're not being paid what we're worth that we deserve a break we're not getting, or that the people we serve at work, at home, or in NA should be more grateful than they are. Sometimes it shows up in our distrust of others. We constantly suspect that someone is trying to get over on us. This simmering resentment can be incredibly destructive. We see not what we have, but what we lack. We feel our vulnerability rather than our security. It's hard to be happy when the world feels like a hostile place. Learning to practice faith and gratitude does not mean that we give up our street smarts. It means we start to develop a different kind of intelligence. We can stand up for ourselves without feeling like we are fighting for our lives. We begin to trust that our needs will be met and to see the imperfections in our circumstances as opportunities rather than barriers to growth. Um, So that second paragraph as I'm reading um, makes me think of um, in the middle of more will be revealed. Um, It talks about, there's like a section in there on like dealing with physical pain, which isn't super related to this, but it talks about um, coming to terms with the idea that challenges um, can present opportunities for learning and for growth. And, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, this for me links to like the seventh tradition and being fully self-supporting you know, when I was using, I I took anything, not just financially, I took anything and everything I could from everyone else around me. Um, You know, it was like, I want what I want and I wanted it yesterday and fuck you if you're in my way. And all of my relationships were transactional like that, you know, like I I only kept people around based on what I could take from them or how I could use them. Um, And I think in turn, it really put me in a position to learn, you know, like the kind of people I attracted with that attitude were the kind of people who in turn also used me, right? And I used people like I used drugs. So that like constantly suspecting that someone's trying to get one over on us, um, you know, did, that resonates with me, like leading me into that viewpoint of insecurity um, and lacking in scarcity. And even still, it can be really easy for me to look at what I don't have versus what I do have. Um, But, you know, something that the seventh tradition and, you know, like my relationship with money, things that I've learned in NA, um, you know, that like I can work and pay my bills and, you know, my relationship with my higher power is one that I've learned that I may not have everything that I want, but I generally have everything that I need, even if, you know, my perception of that isn't exactly in line with higher powers will, because I can still feel kind of icky about the things that I don't have. Um, and I feel like that's what it's talking about when it says that different type of intelligence, um, you know, I'm learning that it's okay to not have everything that I want, because usually the things that I want are not a good idea. Um, so with that, I'll pass.
8: Yeah, thanks for those comments, Lisa. Anybody else want to jump in? What's up, Jennifer? Hey, everyone. Hey, um, just-
5: I've read this before and this one little line where we don't steal people's purses anymore but it seems perfectly reasonable to take office supplies I don't stop with uh but I do take supplies from work and I like to say that all the time because even though I justify it it's like I realize that I'm still not 100% like in the you know I feel entitled that if I need binder clips or pens or a of paper sometimes I'll take it home and um and this just reminds me, I got to be careful, you know, like small permissions, like all of a sudden I'm entitled and the next thing you know, I'm, you know, ordering things on the company credit card that I don't even are not for that. And, and, and it's just a gentle reminder, you know, and it's interesting it's within the pandemic and the change of like working from home and working remotely, it's been kind of this like questionable, like, am I doing this for personal use or am I doing, oh no, I'm doing this for work, man. I work from home. I got to work from home set up. I've had to catch myself a couple of times doing that. But if you look in my cabinet on my chips, I'll tell you there's a box of binder clips that I probably took from my office that are, you know, closing my chip bags together. and And it's funny how how addict. well, okay, I'll just say myself. i'm I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I'll out myself and justify these small little things that happen, right? Um, and I did when I got here, I was so entitled. I everybody was responsible for taking care of me. And it was everybody else's fault that I was where I was at in my life. You know, it was my parents' fault. It was, you know, their fault. It was my brother's fault. It was, my, you know, it was like everybody's fault. And poor me, and I'm a victim. So therefore, and I didn't get real well when I got here, you know, I lived with my parents, and they still had to hide their purses and their, you know, tanks their change jars, you know, uh, that was always my thing, man, if I could get like 250 out of a change jar in my parents' cabinet and their armoire in their bedroom, I could get it, but, um, you know, and I don't have to do that today. You know, I feel really fortunate that, um, I've been really blessed, but I, I will say that, um, you know, my, m- the one thing that has been proven to into, into me over and over and over again, and, and an addiction hits me with, it's not true. Um, is my needs have always been met I've never gone without I've never gone without basic needs and there's sometimes I even get what I want you know today and and when I don't that's okay too Um, learning that I'm not the center of the universe and that I'm not entitled to what um, I think I am is a really has been a really good lesson for me Because it can very easily kick into, don't you know who I am? And I deserve this. And why aren't you providing this for me? And that's not a good space to be in, at least for this addict. Um, That ends up being really destructive. So, um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks.
0: Thanks for those comments, Jennifer. What's up, Casey?
7: I feel like these uh, paragraphs have been like up and down, right? Like they've talked about like being low in the first couple paragraphs and then being high where we feel like the sense of entitlement. And I feel like that's my constant relationship with money. When I got here, I had this huge sense of entitlement. Like, you know, just like it's been talked about. I, I would steal from my, my parents, my friends, whoever it was and justified in every way that I could. And then when I got uh, clean and I realized how unemployable I was, how untrustworthy I was, how for the longest time I couldn't pass a UA, I went to the other end of the spectrum where I didn't feel like I was ever worthy of, you know, having a a decent job or, um, you know, a job that wasn't doing something that I thought I was beneath, quote unquote. Um, And then, I feel like that's constant, you know, and, and right now, um, you know, over the last several months, I've been kind of at this other place where I go back and forth between that sense of um I have an education and I deserve to make more money, to this place of I don't. And so I feel really um tugged because the truth is is that I did. Go to school to get an education and make more money, but I'm having a really hard time with finding that balance of what that looks like without having that Extreme right that over sense of entitlement like I need to make X amount of money or that sense of undeserving like I don't have the skill set still I still my default is always to fall back to um where it was when I got here that I wasn't uh, I wasn't worthy I didn't have the skill set I didn't have all of those things that's always my default still to this day that's where I go first and so. um, I cannot at least right the second still can having a really hard time of finding that balance of um, not feeling entitled but not feeling worthless so um, my relationship with money I think will, I mean at least right now and thus far it's always been like that it's been one or the other, where I'm super grateful for every single thing that I have, or um, I'm angry because everybody else has more than I do. So I don't know, money's a tough one for me. It's uh, my higher power and I go back and forth on it. You know, I feel like I do some step work, I surrender it up and then I take it right back. I do some step work, I surrender it up. Money and my kids, you know, those are the two things that I am in a constant. Uh, I have to stay diligent in to make sure that I can stay right-sized, right? Like that's what it's about for me is being able to stay right-sized. So that's it.
0: Thanks for those comments,
8: Casey. What's up, Jane? Hey, everybody, some good. Hey, Jane, we got to unmute you. now can you hear me yeah we're good to go sorry about that uh i'm sorry you i really had a
6: good intro there you missed it anyway the oh uh, good shares good shares i uh was thinking that i came in here feeling so broken and so lost and so shame-filled and you told me just clean just stay clean everything's going to be all right if you just stay clean today and uh and I did, and it felt better, and I grew and I started feeling loved, not just being told love. And my self-esteem built a little bit because they did a couple of service things and people patted me on the back. And I remember how I used to walk out on air from a meeting because my coffee was good that night. You know, I was the coffee maker by God. And you know, got promoted to other things, greeter and yeah, GSR. Anyway, so but the money situation remained a secret the money situation remained a secret and and some of the shaming that did not go away in the first five or six sets of steps was around shame the money remaining a secret you know who you thought i was who you thought emotion uh, was not who i was and if you knew who i was if you knew about my manipulations of bank accounts and my credit card expansions <laughs> and the U.S. bank asking me to close my account, you no longer needed my services. If you knew all those things about me, you wouldn't like me and you wouldn't think very much of me. And it wasn't until I was willing to sit in the meetings and not do an NA perfect pitch, you know, the one where I was horrible and I came here and I got wonderful, the pitch. Once I set that pitch aside and said, I just feel like shit today, you know, I went out to coffee last night and people asked me to eat dinner and I couldn't tell them I couldn't afford it and I couldn't even afford the cup of coffee. And so I spent the money I was supposed to buy milk with, you know, until I was willing to sit in the meeting and being honest about my misspending of money and my inability to control things and take the problem of money through the steps. Nothing else. The problem with money, my powerlessness over money and my inability to manage it, that things didn't get better. As soon as I broke the secret, I stopped stealing toilet paper from the bathrooms because I couldn't afford it at the store because I was busy spending it on you, so you would like me. Uh, I stopped taking any treasurerships. <laughs> you know i didn't mean to steal it i was just you know i all i had was a check so i'm gonna borrow the cash from the seventh tradition and i'll put the money back uh, anyway there's lots of things that i did in recovery um, that i was just as ashamed of as i was when i was on the street and the people led me very close to the steps to the steps in god and being honest Get it out there. You don't necessarily have to announce it at a public meeting, but at least one or two people, hopefully your sponsor, get honest with the way you spend money. And uh, it was a journey back. And today, I still have moments where I want something and my brain starts manipulating. You can't manipulate as well today as you used to because, like the yeah, a debit card, it comes out right away. You used to write a check and have three days before they catch up with you. Can't even do that nowadays. God damn people. Anyway, so but and I don't do credit cards. I just don't do credit cards. The people seem to be able to. There's lots of people that are very mature in that department. I'm not. Everything becomes an emergency and every little shiny thing needs belongs to me. So I don't do credit cards. If I don't got the cash in the bank, I don't get it. And uh, it's amazing. The other thing that happened, and and then I'll shut up, is that uh, uh, my mom loved me so much. My mama loved me dearly. She almost killed me with her love. And uh, and I had to separate back from her because she was my go-to person. No matter what I did, I could go and ask 20 bucks from her or 200 bucks from her or pay the rent. She kind of got wise after a while, and she'd pay the rent. She wouldn't give me the $200 for rent. But anyway, and when she died, that was another awakening. You know, I didn't just get to be a spiritual giant and change some of my behavior. My mama died and the well drove up, you know, and I had to, to do even more on my own. And I guess I that's my message out to everybody is that if if you didn't get clean and become wonderful, join the club. 99% of us didn't it's very slow progress and the shame you're feeling is the secret, not the behavior, the secret, get rid of the secret. Thank you.
0: Thanks for his comments Jane. What's up Barbara.
2: Hi, Douglas. Um, I've heard so much good stuff it's got me all over the place in my life really. But um, when Paul was talking, the money equals love, my mom did that. Money equals love. You know, we lived in a trailer, then we moved to a new house, then she got divorced. Then we moved in the heart of the hood during the riots. And um she she would do money equals love. And I can remember one year with my with my son, he had like 25 little presents. And I realized money equals love, you know, and money doesn't equal love. You know, I just had my daughter-in-law tell me, Oh, we want to get this. cabinet. And I wanted to say, I'll get it, you know, but then it sets off this resentment, these expectations, this buying your love, you know, so I've learned not to do that. And I didn't do it, you know, and thanks to Alan, I was able to say, no, you know, I'm not in my head, you know, no money doesn't equal love, Barb, you know, they love you without you having to buy it. So, and then when Jane was talking, you know, in in 2007, I uh, graduated from, I I got a four-year degree and they started, and I was living in the projects and they started sending me all these credit cards. So I proceeded to, um, that was an important lesson for me. I got credit cards. I got money, you know, I I really, that's how I, my thinking, you know, and what I did is proceeded to run these credit cards up and couldn't pay them, you know, and, and filed bankruptcy. Today, I do have credit cards, but today, you know what I do? I, I get a get out of jail free once, you know, I don't get that again. And I probably should have paid that. I had a friend that did that and she made amends and paid that back, but I didn't. But today I don't, I don't put any more than what I can pay monthly, you know, on there. And my credit score went from six to I'm about eight now, you know, and I, and I did that, you know, from that I learned, you know, how to manage my money a little better but I can still always, I'll, I'll get them credit cards and get online and I'll, I'll have to rein myself in. It's like, you're spending, you know, you're using money, you know, and then it's like, you got, you got to stop, you got to pay this. And then what I make myself do is stop and pay that. And then, you know, so it's a constant struggle with it. it. It is like Douglas always says, sex, food, money, you know, it's, it's, it's always for me. And we begin to trust that our needs will be met and to see the imperfections in our circumstances as opportunities rather than barriers to growth. You guys know I got a new car. I saved 21,000. I was at a house that I clean. And what did he do? Back into my car. And hit it in the back. Early recovery, I had a lesson about material stuff, about getting wrapped around the axle. You know, So I realized it's a car, Barb. It's a car. It was very disheartening, you know, but what I realized, too, when, when he came and told me, I said, yeah, I, you're kidding. He said, no, I wouldn't kid about this, you know. And I was just like, and, and um, what, what I, I my first thought was, okay, universe, what the fuck is the lesson here, you know. But then I proceeded to see all the lessons. The lessons were I hang out with a higher class of people today. I hang out with some people that tell me that have USAA insurance, good insurance, the best there is, that tell me that I can trust that that are going to make right their mistakes, you know, and are going to own their mistakes, you know, and um, then I go and try to, to get the car fixed. And it, with the times the way they are now, it's going to be months. But you guys taught me by by waiting to get those key fobs, you know. At, at intervals, you taught me I don't get instant gratification. Sometimes I gotta wait. Sometimes I gotta play by the rules. Sometimes I gotta do life on life's terms. But guess what? It'll all work out in HP's time and USAA and Miracle Strip Auto and Body <laughs> because there's many powers greater than me. But it will work out, and my car will get fixed. You know, and I can. And the and the lesson is that I didn't get a resentment didn't even want to get a resume didn't think about a resumé. The man was profusely sorry, you know, cause he know that I, how, what I went through to get that car, you know and, and he's older and I told him you didn't deliberately try to hurt me, you know but it was interesting too, to pay attention cause that street barb's still there. Just a little bit like, oh, I need to do something. I can't trust this motherfucker, you know, or even though I knew right off, it's like, this is a responsible guy. He's, he's going to make this right. It's okay. But that little, that little addict, that little street barb was like, oh no, you can't, they're going to, they're always out to fuck you. You know, you can't trust this. But I was able to sit with that and not act and be okay, you know? And that's that's all what you guys taught me here. When I came here, I had an inability to live. I could not live life on life's terms. The sponsor I have now, I chose because of the ease of living. They have an ease of living. This is, you know, this shows. If you, if you want what they have, ask them how to do it, and you'll you'll get it. You know, I think I, I navigated through this so far pretty smoothly. You know. And I'm so grateful, I'm grateful it was hit in the back and I'm grateful that I got this car and I'm grateful um, that you guys taught me this stuff that I can I can live life on life's terms today. So that's enough for me, as Lee would say.
0: All right, thanks for those comments, Barb. All right, folks, if you're listening we know that Jane doesn't carry credit cards, Barb does. So if we need to lean on somebody for a little while we know who to float that to, but- uh, And
3: Barb's got a good credit score. So uh, she's yeah. co-signing for me, so she's good. Going-
0: and she's throwing 21 stacks at a vehicle right off the bat. Barb, stick around when we're done recording for a second. Folks, be, before we jump on, Eve, I want to ask you to read the next two. But before we do, folks, do we see the, the, the word, the last sentence, the, the two words will be? Man, I think what this is talking about, I think that's the awakening of our spirit here. You know, so if you're listening, I would underline that. So check this out. So up until, up until this awakening of our spirit, we can look back. Lisa and Jen, you were talking about this when you first started. So we could look back and we could say, hey, look, my needs have been met, have been, my needs have been met, have been, my needs have been. The awakening of our spirit, we, we can go, hey, my needs will be, my needs will be, my needs will be. That's the awakening of our spirit. And we get to say, okay, I can put some trust in the future and not just, you know, th- this reflective piece of what happened before, you know, so, so th- that's really good. Eva, can you take the next two?
1: Sure, Doug in every recovery obsession and compulsion play out in our spending habits we shop impulsively or compulsively and get obsessed with having the newest or the best we use our money unwisely in attempt to fill the void we want to buy love approval and appearance of or the appearance of success i thought i could buy my way out of addiction said one member money becomes one more way to play out our control issues we get so rigid that we can create more problems than we solve, or we simply let money and opportunities go by feeling like poverty is probably appropriate for us. Some of us find that it's not stuff that attracts us, but the pursuit. This drive can be bring us to great success or it can be the compulsion that fuels yet another symptom of our addiction. We are on, We are the only ones who really know the truth if we are gambling, working the system, opening and closing businesses, veering from financial success to failure and back again, we might want to take a look at what we're up to. It can be difficult to admit that we have a troubled relationship with money. Sharing honestly with someone we trust can begin the process of change. Financial unmanageability is often the symptoms of a later of a larger issue. Like so many things we struggle with, it is it is a practical problem with a spiritual solution very small things one member shared like paying bills on time gave me a feeling of self-worth another member shared that she began to overcome her resentment of paying her bills by writing thank you for your service on her payments simply meeting our own obligations can be a victory for some of us this resolves quickly others spend a lifetime learning to manage financial turmoil is not unusual for any members but it is not a requirement. Acting out on our disease has financial consequences, but many of the ways we show our recovery have financial consequences too. This doesn't mean that when we are working our program, we get rich. So, some of us never make as much money in recovery as we did when we were using and being responsible can be expensive, but many of us find success in recovery and do achieve financial comfort. When we are practicing sanity and living within our means, we can be comfortable with ourselves and our circumstances, no matter what they are. So I have a bunch underlined in the first paragraph of what I read. um, Like we use our money unwisely in attempts to fill the void. We want to buy love approval or the appearance of success. I used to buy friendships. Like I felt like I, I was so unworthy of having women in my life I would buy them gifts and um, you know that would show that kind of like you know what your parents you know what other people were talking about their parents did I would do that with friends friendships Um, like I would like try to make things that they share with me come true for them and um, surprise birthday parties or plane tickets or you know whatever and I would put myself in debt to do that and then I'd be you know, scrambling to pay my own bills, and um, and I just I just wrote about this in my uh, my last um, set of steps because it's on relationships, and um, I had to make some amends to myself for doing that, you know, for paying for somebody's love and affection. Um, I uh, my husband and I now we own a business, and you know what a what a crazy endeavor it's been. Money, I mean. You think when somebody I I used to think when I was loaded, like somebody who owns a business, they must have a lot of money. What I know now is we have less money because it all goes back into the damn business. <laughs> so I swear a truck breaks down every single week. And it, it can be something that's little as a hose, but it's still down. Anyway, I um so I'm not in poverty, but you know what? I'm comfortable and all my needs are met. Um and this isn't, I mean, I, I'm, you know, a couple of decades clean and I'm still working on this being 100% honest with my sponsor about what I'm buying on, on, uh, Amazon. And why did they make it so freaking easy to buy stuff? Like one click buy, you just swipe, you just, you, I hit the little thing over and the next day you get it. That's some pretty instant gratification. And sometimes you get it that day. Like what the frick? This is built for addicts. So I have to be careful with, I have to, I have made a a rule that I have to ask my husband before I buy anything on Amazon. We have to tell each other. He has to do the same thing with me. It's not like I'm asking him permission, but I have to, I have to own what I want to buy. Hey, I want to buy this. What do you think? He's like, what are you going to use that for? Is it going to just go in your closet? Are you ever going to wait? I'm like, Never mind. I don't want it now. You just killed the vibe. Like, I don't want to have to ask and explain what I want it for. I just want it because it's cute, you know? So these are things that I've had to do for my recovery, you know, and I, and I highly recommend it if you have a partner and you have spending problems like I do, um, maybe you don't know if you do, but if you have, if you like to buy stuff on Amazon, you know, I have an accountability partner. (laughs) It happens to be my sponsor. It's like, who are you going to go work out with? I don't know, but I can tell you who I'm going to talk to before I buy anything on Amazon it's this that it's that big of a deal you know so that's all I got on that thank you
0: thanks for those comments Eve I think I read that somewhere that wives should ask their husband's permission for a whole bunch of shit I don't know <laughs> if you if if the listeners could only see the graphic uh, representation that we got on the, the bird just <laughs> <blue. here. laughs> Tara what's happening jump in
9: yeah I'm Tara I'm an addict and I have a troubled relationship with money I would say Uh, (laughs) I really like that uh yeah so uh being obsessed with having the newest and the best I've been there I've been there in recovery and I've also felt like poverty is something that I deserve uh so swinging back and forth between those two things um I know that uh life is pretty good right now and financially I feel more stable than I ever have in my life and I still have this voice in my head that like tells me that you know that I shouldn't be there right like (laughs) or that somebody's gonna pull the plug right like and take it all away right uh they're gonna figure out something right um So, you know, that's something that I have to think about. And it kind of makes me think of like financial humility, maybe, right? Like, because we talk about humility uh, being right-sized, right? So, um, I don't know, that just kind of popped in my head, like spending what I have and not what I don't have. (laughs) I don't know, what a concept. And then I love in the second paragraph how it says acting out on our disease has financial consequences. Holy cow. Wow. Uh, anybody else have issues outside of uh, using drugs and alcohol, right? Like, so, uh, you know, one of the first things I wanted to do um, to quit doing in recovery that took, you know, I don't know, a long time was quit smoking, right? And I didn't know how to do it. And I had to examine the unmanageability of it. The number one thing that helped me to make that decision to stop was how much money I spent on it you know same with cheeseburgers you guys like oh my gosh I haven't quit yet but like looking at the financial consequences of how much money I spend at all those fast food chains like seriously uh like if I'm whipping out a credit card to buy a cheeseburger like I might need to examine that a little bit further which uh, means I need to examine that a little bit further is what I'm saying. So anyway, those are the things that popped out to me. Super grateful to be here tonight. Lots of good shares.
4: Thanks.
0: Thanks for those comments, Tara. What's up, Lisa?
4: Hey, so I'm really grateful we're talking about this tonight because at first I was kind of like, uh, oh, not really sure what I'm going to share about financially um, because at this point in my recovery, you know, I feel relatively stable because those needs are provided for, um, but about a year ago I moved and you know, I took a pretty significant pay cut to do that. But I think as I'm reflecting on it, you know, I did that to come and live um with the people that I love and where my heart is full. Um, you know, and I think, you know, there was a, a place in here where it said about the appearance of success, and that has changed a lot for me. Um but something else that came into my mind about like the obsession and compulsion, I want to just share real quick about my experience. Like I-, I can also use financial irresponsibility as like a means of self-harm, I guess. I'm not sure if that's like the right way to word it. But um, so like our listeners can't see me, obviously, but I'm a heavily tattooed person. And, um, you know, I had to kind of come to some hard terms with that because, you know, I um, there's a difference between a $100 sleeve in your buddy's kitchen and investing in a piece of art that's going to be on your body forever, you know? Um, And I had to get some cover-up work done, you know, when I came into recovery, took a verbal scolding from my tattoo artist, um, you know, and and he kind of taught me the value of of that investment, you know? Um, We've been good friends for a long time, but there was a point in my early recovery where, like, I would spend my money getting tattooed instead of paying for things, you know, like living at home on somebody's couch, eating my parents' food, you know, or like flopping from place to place can't afford my own way of life, but I had money, you know, to waste on. I mean, it was a waste at that point because it wasn't a good investment. It wasn't well thought out. And um, you know, it was just kind of a reflection of my continual financial irresponsibility in early recovery but also just a, I think a reflection of my lack of self-respect at that point, you know, because I thought that like this hundred-dollar tattoo was a good deal, uh, because like my buddy could draw it, you know, and do it the same day, um, you know, and I've learned that that's just that's not the way financially, um, or in terms of like my spiritual relationship with myself or my self-esteem. Um, so tattoo is. Kind of a soapbox I get on in recovery once in a while. I tell all the new guys, like, go to a shop, man, invest in yourself because it's on you forever. Um, you know, and I think that did speak to some of those larger issues I had when I first got here. And with that, I'll pass.
0: Thanks for those comments, Lisa. What's up, Lee P?
8: Hey Douglas, amazing comments tonight. And I wish our viewers could see this book and how marked up it is, because this is probably. the the worst part of my process. Um, Paul, you took me back when you spoke of your dad. I was like 10, and I was probably high as a giraffe vagina, and my dad walked in the kitchen and slapped a silver dollar on the table, and he said, that's your only friend. And then he walked out the room, and I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to get that dollar. And homeboy came back in there and scooped it up. And from that day, that Began my relationship to money, and and I, I wish we had more than three minutes, Bob Douglas, but that's okay. Um, what I what I learned, like for a long time in recovery, my station, like in work, I always needed it to be commensurate with the type of car I drove, or having you know a downtown apartment plus a house, and after years i don't know 18 15 20 years of that living a uh, couple of things that happened the dot the dot-com bubble had burst and i lost a shit ton of money and then through my own neglect after after having a heart attack i, I lost another shit ton of money and i'm talking about the kind of money people kill themselves over literally uh, cousin-in-law blew his brains out for less than $900,000, but his wife had caught him cheating, a lot of other circumstances. And, and it was such a dark period in the process that I, I almost literally gave up. And, and, and it was really crazy. And I wish, I wish I had enough time to go into a lot of details because I, if you're listening and you're identifying yourself, if, you're, if you're self-worth in your self-worth and your net worth, is how you gauge who you are, where you are in this process. It's, it's going to take you a long time like it took me a long time to get that into a different system, a, a different uh, set of equations. My, my net worth is secure. I worked my ass off to be secure. Um, but it has nothing to do with my esteem today. And it took me going through that period and losing a lot, a lot, where I was so thrown off, I thought eating at Applebee's, you know, I would be pissed off if I had to eat at Applebee's because of of what I had accomplished in life. And I thought that was, that was it. I thought that was the part of this process, recovery. Once you have all the toys, you've won. And that was completely off base. And I've only got four seconds left. Um, completely off base. And it turned out that none of that stuff was real. None of that stuff was real. and and what 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 was meaningful was connection and love and 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 sponsorship and you guys and relationships. And I wanted to I want to say family, but I had a real rough morning with family. So I'm, uh, maybe your family's good. My family is if you look up this function in a dictionary that's my whole clan um and we're we're look we look very thrown off so yeah the spiritual journey is the key not not what's connected or a result of the spiritual journey thanks thanks for those comments Lee what's up Jennifer
5: thanks Douglas um I can't not um talk about money and not talk or talk about money and not talk about how young I was when I got here, right? I didn't have a whole lot of introduction to money. Um, you know, everything I had, <clears throat> you know, I worked a couple jobs before I got here, like, you know, fast food jobs. And all the money I had was typically stolen from family events, you know, when everybody's purses were in the back room and jackets, you know, um, I knew how to do all that. My relationship with money um, was very, um, I don't know, it just, I didn't have it. I didn't have a concept of, of, of how you were supposed to do things. Right. So I got clean and I lived with my parents. And then I turned 18 and I was in a department store. And they said, Do you want to apply for one of these credit cards? And uh, and I said, Why, yes, I do. You know, and I didn't even know they would give me one, but they did. And uh, I think by the time I was 20 or 21, or, you know, maybe right around the time I got married when I was 20, I probably had 18 credit cards. I didn't know anything about interest rates. I, just, All of that was complete. And I'm not saying that other people were smarter than me. I'm just saying I literally went from being a kid who just got clean with the emotional maturity of a 12-year-old to an 18-year-old that all of a sudden had access to all this money. And 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 it was 100% about approval and appearance of success. 100%. I wanted people to like me. I wanted to look good. you know. And my mother drilled in my head growing up that if you had the look good, then you were okay. Everything looked good on the outside. Nobody knew what was going on, you know, back here didn't matter. Right. It's always presented as if everything was okay. And, and as we read, I was, we were reading through this. I really, it really hit home that, that appearance of success was monetary to me. It was stuff. It was nice clothes. It was, you know, looking as if I was you know, doing better off than I really was, you know, um, and that that obsession on that is what created the compulsion to spend and spend and spend. and And it took me a long time to to pay that off. And you know and and in recovery, I've had to file bankruptcy um, because I was unmanageable. and uh, and then when I had a crisis, I couldn't survive, you know, and I had to file bankruptcy. Um, you know, and and, and when we get to this part about the financial unmanageability is often a symptom of a larger issue. Well, what's the issue? My issue is fear not being enough to find my worth. All of the things that are very dangerous for addicts like me, you know, um, fear that I'm not enough, fear that, uh, you know, I'm not going to be worthy to you. That You won't, again, you won't like me and you won't approve of me. Um, and, and And I didn't grow up with a lot of money. You know, I grew up with you had a pair of shoes to wear at school and you had a pair of shoes to wear at church and we were very specific and that was it. And we didn't afford it. And all the kids when I was growing up were wearing guest jeans and, and wearing Barnets and Ray-Bans and, and Reeboks. And I was wearing clothes from Sears that my grandma got a, you know, 20% discount from because the grandpa worked there, you know, and, and I felt a lot of shame behind that. Um, <clears throat> an interesting part about all that is, is, uh, you know, it's it still to this day at, you know, 29 years clean really, it doesn't affect me the way that it did, and I don't act on it the way that I used to, but that hinge of it, every time I get a little bit of money or every time I think that I need this because it's pretty and it'll make you know what I mean? I I, I just can recognize it today. I guess that's the difference. I recognize it's a fear, and I recognize it's a symptom of a larger issue wanting to spend money, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll just say this, and I'll, and I'll close, and I'll pass, is that um we can be comfortable with ourselves and our circumstances, no matter what they are. And and once I'm there, the unmanageability and the compulsion to spend, it leaves, you know, it doesn't leave forever. I wish I could say, yeah, I'm okay now and I'm good. But every time I get to that place where I'm comfortable with myself and my circumstances, all that stuff kind of fades away. Um, and that's the pro- been the process of recovery for me. Um, but with that, I'll pass away.
0: Thanks for those comments, Jennifer. Barb, can you read the next two paragraphs, please? We're gonna start with, uh, we also learn.
2: Sure. We also learn to ask for help when we need it. Many of us struggle in recovery when we become sick or disabled because our beliefs about being self-supporting make it hard to seek the assistance we may desperately need. The humility we learn from working the steps allows us to ask for help when necessary and to know that we are neither too good to have needs, nor too bad to deserve a hand. We may find that what we want is very different from what we need and learning to adapt to our circumstances can give us a flexibility that we hadn't imagined before. We learn to accept help and find other ways to contribute as well. Losing everything isn't a life sentence, just as having it all doesn't mean we will not be in need again. Prudence is a principle some of us practice more than others. It's a funny word, but it's what we are talking about when we refer in service to a prudent reserve. A member shared, I learned to be responsible and prudent within a fund so I don't misappropriate other people's funds either. I have learned the principles of honesty and accountability. It's part of walking my talk and applying the principles. Um, I still have trouble asking for help. That's still not my my strong suit, but I will. You know i'll do whatever necessary to stay clean today and and um and i like that about prudence you know i'm i'm i was like paul i my <laughs> social security's got a whole 20 years of blanks you know and um so i have to work now you know in, in in retirement so um and i have learned in later recovery that i can save i used to think i'm pretty poor i don't make that much money i can't save but i've learned when i saved that 21,000 for the car now i've i've saved about 5,000 more it's like you can save but a lot of this stuff has come so slowly for me you know coming i guess coming from where i came from you know and i also want to talk about too when i when i first came in and i was in my um first women's group they talked about um you know sometimes you go from from making a lot of money to not making a lot of money you know and and that was important for me. There, I was in a, a woman's group where there were women, clean, still hustling, still prostituting for a while, because there was that transition from leaving that money, where I was able to to stop it because the damage it had, it was doing to me, I guess, or or what I, whatever. I was able to um, go from that that different lifestyle um, pretty readily, pretty easily. But but that is something that we go through too, you know. So, um, and I'm, you know, what I'm doing now, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm playing this new game coin master and I've spent 20 bucks on this game, you know, and I'm like, Barb, what are you doing? And you know what I'm telling myself in my head? Well, that's a rock. You're not buying a rock, you know, (laughs) that's the shit I tell myself and I'm using food and I told my sponsor, I don't know what's going on. And my sponsor said you got to quit medicating to find out what's going on, you know. And it's like Jim was saying, you know, and it's that simple. I got to quit medicating with whatever it is to find out what's going on, you know. And and sometimes it's just that I'm an addict, but but I suspect it's more. And and my mom, you know, my mom died a couple of years ago, and it, it's been an ongoing grieving process with that. And it's been so horribly painful that I've squashed it down. We we have the ability to escape. You know, they always say God doesn't give you more than you can handle because as addicts, we can, we can shut it down, you know, and um, I do that even in recovery. So I'm grateful to be here. Thanks.
0: Thanks for those comments, Barb. I want to make a comment, then I'm going to kick it over to you, Paul, here in a second. And and, uh, we're looking at this, you know, if if, like, like being, being born into poverty, uh, Dr. Ruby Payne, P-A-Y-N-E has a, has a really cool book, Understanding Poverty. In, in one piece that it is, it's almost like part of our identity, just as like I identify as being like a white male, you know, with a cultural background and stuff like this. Um, being being born into poverty uh, is as much part of my makeup when I look at myself as being a man, as being white, as being, you know, X, Y, and Z. And that ties into a lot of saying, look, man, I don't deserve these things. Like, I don't deserve these things. I'll give you a quick funny thing. And Barb, I, I agree with you, man. Like, look, when it comes to doing what I have to do to stay clean, I'm the old timers taught me to be generous, man. Buy somebody a meal, put them up, and give them money for this. Do that. Get them a ticket. Do do whatever. That's cool. But I, sw- honest to God, listen to this though. If I'm on a date or something like this, and they, first of all, I don't, <laughs> I see, I, I don't order uh, anything other than water, and I don't order a damn appetizer when I go out to eat. I don't do it, and I'm not ordering dessert either. I'm getting the meal, and it, it's it's usually middle or the cheapest you know meal that you can get there. If I'm on a date or something and they order something other than a water to drink, if they hit an appetizer, they hit a dessert, I'll have a fucking panic attack right there. Like I want, you know, so I'm prudent. I like to say my, my friends tell me I'm cheap, but I say that I'm that I'm very prudent and frugal. So we all have, you know, fucked up relationship with that. What's up, Paul? Come on in.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm, when Douglas and I go out to eat, I'm always paying the check because I want to fucking order what I want to fucking order and not like feel pain ad- about it. Three appetizers. <laughs> <laughs> three. I'm, I'm almost dying. Thinking I'm, it like- I'm not splitting shit. I'm not doing other shit. I'm ordering what I want to eat. But look, it's in that the previous paragraph talk about buying acceptance and love and all of that. And, and listen, the pendulum swings. I'm a taker 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 and I don't you know what I mean? I, listen, I've been to enough shonies after meetings where people are running out on tickets with nna you know what i mean (laughs) you know how we are (laughs) we you know we're not good we're not good with this stuff and so um so then the pendulum swings and we're buying everybody and and i do agree with douglas buying a newcomer who can't afford that is an important part of this process and learning how to do that but there's also this buying friendship and buying stuff. And that pendulum swings and you do that and you, you work some steps and you talk to your sponsor and, and the pendulum starts to come back to the center. What, what the other part that is not referenced here, although it has talked about some of this, it doesn't just have to be when, when times are bad, the asking for help, just the simple act of somebody wanting to pick up your check, who's a friend and being willing to accept that is difficult for me. Like I'm, it's, it, it's control, it's unworthiness. It's all of those things in that microcosm, in that moment when they go, let me buy you lunch. And there's this, Ugh! I can't, I can't, let you, I can't receive it, I can't, I'm not worthy of it, I don't know, it's all of those things in that moment, I don't deserve it, I'll be beholden to you, I'll owe you again, what is, it's all of that, in any moment, instead of, thank you. That's very kind. You know, it always has to be something with me. You know what I mean? It has to be all of this jockeying and it can't just be, thank you so much. That was very kind. And and so that's, that's also part of this process. You know what I mean? It's not just giving love, (laughs) it's receiving love. And sometimes that's the harder, at least for me, I don't know about anybody else, but for me, that's sometimes that's the harder part. I'm, I'm always willing to go outward, but, but letting it in admitting, right? Letting it in, we admitted is the hard part. That's why it's in the first step. It's so alien to an addict to admit, to let something in. So thanks.
0: Thanks for those comments, Paul. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in and uh, your action item this week. Find somebody who could benefit from this resource and provide it for them. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.